Well everybody, what's the crack? And welcome back to episode number 13 of the Inline G Flute Podcast with me, your host, Inline G. So two weeks in a row, it is just myself and yourself. There is no guest this week again on the Inline G Flute Podcast. It's just me, all on my lonesome, all on my own, with you of course. So uh, go step into something comfortable. Come and join me in the hot tub. The water is lovely. Now I'm going to start off this week's episode really quickly with an apology for last week's episode. Now, now I can hear you. I can hear if you've gone already. It's about fucking time he started apologising for some of that bollocks he talks on the internet. I'm not apologising for what I said last week or what I say in any episode. It'll be a cold day in hell before I apologise for what bollocks I talk on the internet. But what I am going to apologise for is this morning or yesterday morning I was flicking through last week's episode in the video version to try and find some clips. So I make the small clips for social media to try and get people in through the door for the podcast. So I'll take the best bits of the podcast and shorten them into a minute and throw them up on the internet. Now I was flying through looking for a few clips and I realised I looked like the fucking Undertaker the whole way through. I was dead. I was so fucking tired. I had a face on me like a pasty supper and it was not for good viewing. Now of course the episode was well researched, well structured and beautifully expressed. But it just lacked that energy that you've come to know on the N9G podcast. And I'm very sorry for that. I was in Newcastle upon Tyne the weekend before, seeing the band Busted, the uh, the pop rock band from when I was a kid. And to be honest, I got super drunk the entire weekend and forgot to research and record an episode in advance. So two days before, I did it last minute, and I was fucking dead doing it. And that came across very clearly, which is why there was only two clips out of that podcast. A record low, and even the second one was scraping the barrel. So I'm apologising for that, but I'm not apologising for the bollocks I talked. So anyway, apology out of the way. This week's episode, what are we getting into? So, I told you last week, this week is going to be a continuation of last week's episode. So last week, we have the episode called, uh, fuck, I wrote it, I should know, um, Rompal Galway Pau, the Royal Lineage, where we looked at the three great kings of the flute world, the three greatest, most successful artists in the history of the flute world, their lineage, what they have in common, and what they all did uniquely. Now, I promise you this week we'd move on to a next a succession of that, if you will. And we have, but also the episode I wrote this week has been split again into two. So this has become a trilogy. The reason I've split it into two is because I should start doing this more often. I was researching the episode, I wrote it all out, and I thought, fuck, there's quite a lot in there. And what I've done before is went, sure, be grand, just talk fast, and you'll squeeze it all in. Instead of going, well, why not split it into two episodes... Make your podcast length the target 35 minutes, which I've been trying to do since the fucking start. But I just can't stop talking bollocks. And then 35 minutes goes by like that before I've even done the introduction. He says three minutes in already. So I've decided to split it this week. Two parts, and this will be a trilogy overall. Now, do you need to see the first film in the trilogy to wonder or to work out what's going on this week? No, you don't. If you didn't hear last week's episode, it's not really that important. Think of it kind of like American Horror Story, like a new season of American Horror Story. There's a couple of things you go, oh, I recognise that. I've picked up on that, but you don't need it to follow the plot. So don't worry if you haven't. If you're not a flute player, though, I would maybe recommend going and giving it a quick listen or at least Googling the names of Jean-Pierre Rampal, James Galway and Emmanuel Bowie. They are in the episode last week. To get an idea of who we're talking about. Beyond that, you're ready for this episode. You're ready to rock. So yeah, I really want to make these episodes under 35 minutes. That's been a goal of mine for a while. But as you know, I'm Irish. And Irish people talk bollocks. If talking shite was an Olympic sport, we would win gold every year. It'd be the only thing we win gold in. 
So I'm going to do my best. So we split it up into two episodes. This week's episode is going to be a continuation of last week's where we're going to be talking about the future of the, the royal lineage of the monarchy of the flute. Who's going to be the next big flute superstar? This week we'll look at the challenges that they're going to be facing. So there is a lot of different things that the next flute star, superstar is going to have to deal with that the previous ones didn't. So we are starting to prepare for a post-POW world. Now I know, it's a harrowing thought. None of us want to think about a post-POW world. And I'm not ready for it. You're not ready for it. And also, to note, Manuel Pau is only 53. Okay, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. In fact, he's at his peak. He's playing better than ever. He's looking better than ever. He's fucking brilliant. But we can start thinking about what's coming next. Okay, in the next 15, 20 years potentially. And the next food superstar might already be here. So we can start talking about what's going to happen next. So this week, we're not going to talk about the actual person. I'm going to predict that'll be next week's episode. Next week, I'll be predicting a couple of different players who I think will be the next flute superstar. This week we're going to look at the challenges and the changing landscape in the classical music and flute worlds and these are the things that the next superstar is going to have to deal with. So this week we are going to look at a couple of things like navigating social media, the digital revolution in classical music, the cost of living crisis and the impact it's having on classical music, music streaming and how we consume content and the new forms of crossover artistry. And then yes, next week I'll look at who's maybe dealing with these challenges particularly well and give you a list of people that I think might be following on Mr. Bau. Now, obviously, this is an extremely opinionated and speculative episode. More so than usual. So please, don't fucking come for me in the comments, alright? I've given you a warning, and again, I've said so many times, if you haven't realised that this podcast is mainly shite-talking, then you're beyond hope. It's not my fault, alright? You shouldn't be listening to a drunk Irish guy on the So again, if you're a flute player, I hope you get something out of this episode. I hope you find some information that you didn't know before. I know I did. I researched the bollocks out of this. Um, And if you're not, I hope you get some information to show off at a party and maybe attract the member of your desired sex. So anyway, without further ado, let's get in and about it. So part one of the podcast this week is entitled Social Media for the Modern Artist. So, if someone is going to take on this role, this next mantle of the flute superstar, the job description itself is changing a lot. Galway and Rampal never had to deal with social media. And to be honest, Emmanuel Bayou got his fame before social media really kicked off, and so he's kind of managed to avoid a lot of the things that came with it. He's benefited from his success already when social media was starting, so he didn't need to go and get stuck into it the way other people do. And especially the next person. They're going to have to get stuck into social media. Now, it is growing at an unprecedented rate. Social media is fucking flying and it's not going to slow slow down anytime soon. And it is playing a major role in artists and especially classical musicians' lives. TikTok especially. Like, how many musicians have created international careers, recording careers, from TikTok alone? It's unbelievable. So I think... The next flute superstar will not only have to tolerate social media, but they'll have to thrive on it. They'll really have to know their shit. And to be honest, I think that's something that not many classical musicians, if any, really, or maybe one later, have managed to do. Sorry. Um, So, yeah, we're going to do a couple of comparisons first to show you what the crack is on TikTok. TikTok is obviously the most prominent social media network at the minute the up and coming one the most used so i think it's a fair place for comparison 
So the number one musician on TikTok in all genres of music. Number one musician on TikTok is a girl called Bella Porch. Is that? I don't even know to be honest. Um, with 92 million followers. 92 fucking million. What is that? Like That's like 15 Ireland's. Squeezed in and they all follow her in social media. On TikTok. So she did a lip sync video of that. I do know she did a lip sync video to the M to the B song. Which was a great song. And I, I kind of feel like the girl who wrote the song should be more popular. But she did a lip sync video to it. And then it just. That was one video. Exploded. Fucking exploded. No previous professional music experience. Like no professional recording. Or a, you know a career of any note to talk about. And then bang. Suddenly she's now got a contract with Warner Records. A good few EPs out. And her debut album is in the post on the way. Her top song on Spotify is called Build a Bitch. And it has half a billion streams. Man, half a fucking billion. Like, what is that? Half a billion. That's 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 ridiculous. Anyway, next up on the list of most popular musicians on TikTok is a girl called Kimberly Loazia. She's from Mexico. 73 million followers. Like, what the fuck? What is that? 73 million people. That's obscene. So she started her career through YouTube. And then YouTube, 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 YouTube. YouTube, YouTube, and then TikTok sort of took her career to the next level and sent her into the fucking stratosphere, and now she's massive. And the third in the list for most popular musician on TikTok is BTS, who, okay, they didn't start, it's the Korean boy band, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with them. To be honest, I wasn't, and I've listened to their absolute dog shit, but I don't want to slag them off too much because I don't want to look like that old man on the internet who doesn't understand modern pop music, but... Man, what the fuck is BTS? They're so shit. Pop music in my day was good. Man, we had Kanye Minogue. We had Holly Valance. We had Westlife. Backstreet Boys I tolerated because they were good, but they are American. Man, what BTS? They're dog shit. But anyway, they've used social media really to their advantage. They are flying at it in the minute. Like, stupid amounts of followers. Like, obscene amounts of fucking followers over there. Um... And that's what's going on in the music world. So that tells you the kind of levels. We're talking over 60 million followers for these three people. Up to 92. Obscene. Now, if we switch our attention to classical musicians on TikTok. Fuck me. Number one is Two Set Violin. Now, they're the comedy duo. Big fan of them, to be fair. They're fucking great. They're really, really good. But they're obviously a comedy duo. They're known for making comedy content. They're not known for their musical output, per se. No, they you know do comedy videos and commentary on contemporary life as a classical musician. They're very, very good. But they are the number one classical musician of any kind on TikTok with 1.1 million followers. And that's a shitload of people. But in comparison to fucking Mrs. 92 million there, it's fuck all. It's nothing. Um, and yeah, they are fucking brilliant, but they're the most active people, the most active classical musicians on TikTok, which is a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace that none of the actual artists can get beyond that. Um, in fact, of the 10 most followed classical musicians on TikTok, 6 of them are meme accounts, or comedy accounts. Mainly meme accounts, so they just share other people's content. Probably not fucking credited for them, get a shitload of views. It's ridiculous, but yeah. Um, the ones within it, in the top 10, who aren't um, comedy or meme are um, the piano guys. Here, fucking shite. Um, Camille Thomas, the cellist. And Nemanja Radulovic, who is actually fucking class, to be fair. Nemanja is a very, very good violin player. Um, really, really good. 
But all them were talking less than 200,000 followers. Now, as of this morning, I have 293 followers. Not 293,293, but I'm coming for you, Nemanja. Watch your back. Now, okay, classical music, it will always have less of a following. It's the nature of the art form. It's a little bit niche for many reasons, which I'll probably touch on in another episode. Now, Emmanuel Bowie, for example, the most well-known flute player, has got a good social media following. But again, it's a result of his previous success and not... He didn't get famous on TikTok or Instagram. I don't even know if he's on TikTok, but Instagram or Facebook. He didn't get famous on it. People follow him because they know who he is already and he's on it. But he doesn't utilize social media in any way. He posts all right on it. You know, he liked one of my stories once and I was... Oh, I had a moment. But the next flute monarch is going to have to properly use and utilize social media in all its forms. Properly get stuck into it. We need a classical musician to hit 10 million followers. That's what we need first. Before it, we even think of it being a flutist, 10 million followers. But why can't it be a flute player? Why can't the first 10 million follower account on TikTok for a classical musician be a flute player? You remember fucking Jimmy Galway got the number three in the UK charts? Be off the fucking Rolling Stones. <laughs> Didn't beat off the road. <laughs> didn't beat off the road, so he didn't go that far. Like <laughs> I don't think that would. <laughs> I don't think that would have got him third place if he just did that to them. He got higher than them in the charts. So if the, if he can do that, why can't we get ten million followers? All I have to do is beat off ten million men. <laughs> so right, the next person who, if they are going to utilize social media, they will need to. Here's the criteria for social media success. They'll need to be authentic. Although, to be honest, say authentic, we mean social media authentic. They're not really authentic, it's usually a load of bollocks. But anyway, authentic. They need to be consistent in posting, and they need to be engaging with their audience. Not something a lot of people do very well. They need to be adaptable to keep up with trends, or potentially set them. And they need to be ethical in their practices. Something which I fucking came for a lot on this podcast, and we'll keep coming for it. For example, don't buy followers. And there's a couple of flute players out there, or flute players who they have a shitload of followers and then when they put up a post it gets like seven likes and if you go through the followers none of them have profile pictures yeah it's fucking pathetic and it's not doing you any good or okay buying the blue ticks yeah i suppose these days everyone's kind of doing it but earn your fucking blue tick but if you bought one i don't blame you i nearly bought one because it looks cool as shit but i'm not that famous i'm not famous at all um yeah so anyway Next one's going to have to do that. They have to balance all this while maintaining a high-end performing career and having enough time for it all to make sure their mental health stays stable, which is no fucking mean feat. As anyone who knows, spending an hour on social media day is not great for your mental health. Dedicating half your life to it is a tall order. And to do that, mix in the career and do all that and become the first person potentially to do it and keep your mental health in check is not going to be fucking easy. So it's a big thing. Now, this also plays into streaming, the whole social media thing. And... The next artist is going to have to be really on top of the whole streaming industry because, to be honest, classical music in the streaming game is a fucking disgrace. It is so slow to it. It is pathetic. And we are getting left behind because of it. Classical music has an aging audience. So it means, you know, physical CDs are still preferred because, yeah, they're old as shit. But this needs to change. Okay? You can still have physical CDs, but you can't rely on it as being your only way to get your music out there. Um, we need someone who not just puts their shit on streaming services but properly uses it to their full advantage so by that i mean maybe it's time to consider doing what other genres do and going for a smaller or an independent label 
or dropping the label entirely and self-publishing. Like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the singer uh, Inji on TikTok. Fucking great tunes. I'm a big fan of hers. Entirely self-published. I just got like near a billion streams in one of her songs on Instagram. Or Spotify, sorry. From her TikTok account. Makes great music. Did it all herself. And you look at people like Jerry Cinnamon back in Scotland. Doing fucking incredible stuff. Selling out festivals. Not one penny goes toward advertising or marketing. Not one fucking penny. Self, self-published. Does it all himself. Streaming does the work. Incredible. So, the second highest flute stream on Spotify is 4.2 million listens for Emmanuel Bayou's Mozart Concerto. Not bad, I hear you say. The highest flute stream in general? So the highest flute stream above Mr. Bayou? Of course, it's my Jimmy. It's our Jimmy Galway. When he did Annie's song, when he beat off the Rolling Stones, <laughs> they get 200 million listens on Spotify. 200, 200 million. I'll say that again because I fucked it up the second time. 200 million. But that is a fucking disgrace. 4.2 compared to 200 million. That's, that's a disgrace. Classical music needs to do a lot better. And like, I know it's a niche market and I know it's a small bit business, especially flute playing. But like, I'll put in a bit of context. One of my favorite bands is a group called Kneecap. They're a hip hop trio from Belfast. Self-published as well. Now, they sing in Irish. They don't sing in English. They sing unique in Irish. The mainly thing about how much they don't like the British. Or how much they don't think the British deserve to have a role in Ireland, we'll say. Especially in the north of Ireland, which I'll not get into. But anyway, that's quite niche. A hip-hop trio, self-published, from Belfast, who sing about the British in Irish language is quite niche, I would say. To say the very fucking least. And they have the same kind of streaming numbers as Emmanuel Bayou. Now that's just not fucking on. That's not on. If there's an unsigned... Irish speaking hip hop trio from Belfast have a similar numbers to the biggest flute player in the world. Not good enough. Just not fucking good enough. Um, they're more obscure. So the next person, they have to do it better. Anyway, um, what's next? I'll tell you quickly what are we drinking this week? Oh, oh too much vodka. That's what I'm drinking. I've got a vodka and Diet Coke with a decorative umbrella. It's fucking strong. Uh, yeah, not a heavy handed pour, not a shaky hander. Um, yeah, you know the score by now. Listen, um, click the link in the description of this. You will find a link to go and donate to the podcast if you want. The podcast will always be free. It will never not be free. There will never be paid content. There will never be a subscription a subscription service where if you pay more money, you will get more content. That will never be the case on the N9G Flute podcast. It will always be free. But if you want to donate some money to help out with costs over here, it would be very fucking appreciated. So if you hit that link in the description, or you go on to my Instagram account, for example, and hit the link in the bio, you can buy me a drink. You can buy me the price of a drink. And yeah, whatever a Dr. Pepper costs in your country, fire that across my way, if you can afford it. If you think, fuck, I enjoy the podcast, I listen to every episode, I get a couple of hours of entertainment a month, cost me nothing, fuck it, I'll throw them over three quid once a month happy days thank you very much it'll go towards keeping the lights on in this place and funding the podcast while i still look for a sponsor which i haven't done i told you last week i would and i lied through my fucking teeth i didn't do anything of the sort but anyway you can find out that way to donate to the podcast donations are incredibly appreciated there was actually quite a few last week which was so nice because also it means officially now i am a semi-professional podcaster i'm getting paid to do it i'm semi-professional so fuck you guys <laughs> fuck you guys i'm dropping the podcast is over i'm famous now fuck you guys i'm going to mallorca i'll be dead 
Right, but no, seriously, you can donate to the podcast. It's very appreciated. If you do, if you can't afford it or you don't want to, that's grand. You can still listen for free forever and ever ad libitum. Okay, the next part of the podcast is, yeah, the next section is going to be talking about the crossover. Yeah, artist, artistic crossover with different genres and the cost of living. So yeah, like I said, the next thing to consider, like the Three Kings did before, is what the new person's crossover genre will be. So the lands before have done it. You know, Jean-Pierre Rampal crossed over. Audio listeners can't see this, but I am doing the inverted commas that we call it, the wee bunny ears. Um, crossed over into the Baroque. Jimmy Galway beat off the Rolling Stones. <laughs> and he also crossed over into different types of music. <laughs> and Emmanuel Bayou has done jazz and contemporary music. They've all went into different genres to push themselves on to be mega famous. What's the next one going to do? What does the modern food player need to do at that level to be considered in that in that monarchy, in that royal lineage? So, Paiu did an incredible job, and he's doing an incredible job of doing contemporary music with living composers and also branching into jazz, but I don't think that can happen anymore. Paiu can do it, but he's going to be the last one. Um... And the reason for that is, I think the biggest factor crossing into new genres that is, can people afford to go do it? There's a cost of living crisis at the minute, for those who aren't aware. And a lot of people in classical music aren't fucking aware. None of us can afford anything. We're all skint. We're all skint. And that plays into our entertainment and the choice of music we listen to and can go watch. Now, jazz and contemporary music, not affordable if you're going to classical music as well. They're about the same price as classical music. Um, and it's an important topic. It's something classical musicians really need to start fucking remembering. And the class of classical music will be a future episode. I will touch into this property because it's something I'm very passionate about. But for now, I'll give you an idea of comparison. So I went on to the uh, Google and I stuck in concerts coming on in London this weekend to give you an idea of how much live music costs in London. The reason I didn't choose America is because fuck America. I don't give a shit. It'll be in pounds and it's a developed country we're going to look at. I'm not going to America for concerts. I don't even know what dollars are anymore. So everything in America costs 20 bucks. 20 bucks. Fuck off. I'm a shite. But I will do the... I will do all the costs in pounds and euros and dollars. Um, anyway, what's coming on in London this weekend? So, the LSO, London Symphony Orchestra, they're going to be doing a lovely bit of Rachmaninoff at the Barbican Centre. Fantastic. Tickets cost up to £70. So that is about €80 Euro or $85 dues. The London Philharmonic Orchestra are doing a Zvorzak Symphony with some other things. Now, the tickets will go up to £60, which is about €70 Euros or $75. The London Contemporary Orchestra, who do contemporary music, obviously, and modern music, are charging up to £45 for their next concert, which is actually a jazz one as well. Now, these, again, these prices have to be taken with a little bit of pinch of salt these are up to that price the price can sometimes be a little bit less than that not much and if you were to buy the tickets for the concerts now for this weekend that's how much it would cost because that's all that's left now these are not vip seats they're not over the top seats they're just normal seats um but they're expensive now to give you an idea of comparison shania twain herself the fucking goddess of music is playing prism this weekend in london now shania twain costs £14 to go see her, it costs £18 if you want to get a CD with that, and it costs £40 if you want to get the co- a copy of the brand new vinyl along with a souvenir ticket. The View, the Scottish uh, indie band, one of my favourite fucking bands of all time, they're in London this weekend, and actually they're in London tonight, sorry, too late for you lads, tonight is in Wednesday, 
fuck you, so you can't go see it. Um, but they were there two days ago, and it cost £24. Flat rate ticket. Um, great band. The Undertones are playing in London this weekend for the princely sum of £29.10 British pence. Now, to be honest, the Undertones are fucking amazing. They are yeah, I shouldn't have to explain who the fucking undertones are. You all know what Teenage Kicks is, and if you do, if you don't know the song Teenage Kicks, you're beyond hope. You're beyond fucking hope, and they are from the beautiful north of Ireland as well, so we know them very well back there. But anyway, twenty nine pounds and ten pence. Now, meanwhile, Eno English National Opera are doing Peter Grimes by Benjamin Britten, a superb fucking opera to be fair, superb. Now the tickets cost between. 70 being the cheapest and the most expensive being 160 for stall prices 160 fucking quid now yes again the classical places do subsidies and they do discounts and they do special offers and stuff but still the average price is too much and when we're talking about subsidies and cheaper prices you can go catch a local dj or an indie band or a club night in london for half the price and this is the biggest point and also you have to consider if you go to the barbican to watch the LSO or if you go to ENO and you go to Covent Garden or anything like that how much does a drink cost because if you go into a local club night and any night you're paying a couple of quid a pint I know it is in London these days I think it's about £6 a pint but in the Barbican you're paying a lot more um, I went to see St Martin and the Fiends recently not that recently but this year fucking 12 quid a drink or something so that's another thing to take into consideration with costs. People can't afford that kind of shit. And then also you might need a new outfit for the occasion because if you're first time going to classical music, you might think, I need to dress up. You're going to spend more money. You're just, just going to go, fuck it. I'm not spending that money. And you can compare it to like, if you were looking at like an independent indie music night. So we're not talking The View or The Undertones. We're talking someone less well-known. You can get cheap live local bands. For example, Projector. They're a three-piece band from Brighton, indie band. They're in London this weekend. And they're a fucking brilliant band. They're superb. Tickets are nine quid. Nine fucking quid. And you get another band with it. You get a support band. Classical music needs to fucking wise up. Now, I know it costs a lot of money to run these orchestras, but people will not choose it. You're not going to get young people picking that over a nine-quid gig. You're just not. So, instead of looking at crossovers or possible crossovers that a classical musician could do, I have instead taken the idea of doing a case study of an individual player. Oh man, there's so much vodka in that, but it is lovely. I think that's why last week's episode was lacking a bit of energy. It was lacking a triple shot of vodka. I normally hate vodka, but it's all that's left. I had a party here not too long ago, and all I have left in the house is vodka. It's actually very nice. It's Smirnoff, it'll be the best. So yeah. I'm not going to do all the different options of classical crossover we can do now or other genres we can jump into because it's literally endless. But I am going to give you one player who's on social media that at the minute that I think is the blueprint for a modern classical musician. And that player is the French violinist Esther Abrami. Now, a bit of background on Miss Abrami. She was born in 1996 and she studied at the Royal College of Music and then did a postgraduate degree with scholarship at the Birmingham Conservatoire. Now, when she was there, at both those places, she started doing social media videos. So, little small clips, comedy clips, um, tapping into trends, things about practicing, things about musician life, all that kind of stuff. I started following her. She was very funny. She was doing a good job. Now, at that time, she was already ticking all the boxes that is needed to be a social media success. 
She was authentic. She was very consistent with her posting. She was engaging with her audience and she was very ethical. Also, she was a fucking good player. She's a fucking good violinist, which goes beyond them all. She's a fucking brilliant player. And you don't get into Royal College of Music without being a brilliant player. I've heard people attack her on the quality of her playing. Because maybe, is she the best violin player in the world? Probably not, no. But she's one of the most famous. And she has definitely got a lot of talent as a violin player. A lot of fucking talent. She's brilliant. But she, through social media, from then, from making small little videos, has now formed this very unique path in classical music that is fucking incredible. And she is flat. She's living my dream life. She's living my absolute dream life. She's doing unbelievable stuff. So now she is signed with an exclusive record deal with Sony Classical. And she performs regularly as a soloist worldwide. Like even this weekend, just this weekend, she's at St. Luke's at the LSO in London. Her new album came out last week. A gorgeous album, which I listened to today for the first time, called Cinema. Cinema. Um, which has got movie, movie tunes. So big themes and melodies from films with the City of Prague Philharmonic Orchestra, who are obviously well known for doing the film themes, but not the popular ones. Popular, again, in the bunny ears. Um, gorgeous arrangements, but of lesser known or lesser appreciated movie hits. When you think movie hits, you're thinking fucking Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Superman and Schindler's List. It's not that. There's things like Naruto, Demon Slayer, Diary of Anne Frank, The Witcher, The Hunger Games, all brilliant music beautiful arrangements for violin and orchestra and her brand new album is just out it's a great album i would love to make an album like that that'd be so much fun to make um she started her own all-female ensemble called her ensemble who seek to address the gender gap and gender stereotypes in the music industry and she also has this gorgeous looking super professional well-produced prog podcast broadcast <laughs> broadcast is what you get in the top of july super super professional podcast called women in classical which is what it says on the tin she'll do interviews with different women involved in the classical music world and get their view on everything basically but especially their view on the gender gap and sexism and women's role in the classical music world it's incredible what she's doing passion projects just whatever the fuck she wants to be honest she's very heavily involved with fashion companies playing all their events i think she was playing louis vuitton recently as well or Dior, or one of those ones anyway, but just always doing this kind of stuff. Um, she had a deal recently with Zenith, watches, Zenith watches. Fucking gorgeous, like she's doing everything. And she's playing actual, real music festivals, not like classical music ones, like electronic music festivals, big ones with the French DJ Waracles. Um, so he goes on, plays his massive set of crazy composed electronic music for like basically essentially a rave audience, she comes on with a violin, shreds a couple of fucking solos, people go fucking mad for it, she packs it up, takes it away with her, and then the same weekend, actually this weekend, or next week, she goes on tour as a soloist with the English Symphony Orchestra. Why the fuck not? Do whatever you want. That's amazing, man. She's doing everything. She'll wake up one day and do her podcast, she'll do a ensemble gig, she'll go do a couple of press signings, play for a charity, or a fashion thing, maybe a charity gig as well, look after her cats. And fucking go on stage in an electric music festival in Budapest and then on tour with the English National Symphony. You're like, what the fuck? That's amazing. That's incredible. And she built all that on her own from social media. I cannot tell you how fucking insane it has been to watch her over the last few years just build up and build up and build up. And then every time I log in, I'm like, fuck, she's done this now. i just done that now. She was on Cotidien the other day, the French uh, news channel, a channel I absolutely fucking love. 
you know, because I fancy the girl with the red hair on it. But anyway, I want to go on it. Pack my friends just to be with her. And, as I said, I touched on a little bit there, she fucking loves cats. She posts about them all the time. I think she has a shelter, or she sponsors a shelter. She used to put up a lot of posts about, like, kittens for adoption. She doesn't as much now, but I think there's a link somewhere on her page where you can go find it now, and it's accepted, and she does all these donations. Like, I mean, fucking cats as well. It's great. It's, what a life. She rocks, and I would love to do a full episode on her, and this has turned into a fucking episode on her, so I'm going to stop talking, but I'm in actual awe of watching her develop, and especially watching what she did from small videos and social media becoming a massive, all-rounded, multidisciplinary artist without sacrificing any quality or any of her values. She does what the fuck she wants to do and how to do it, and she does all of it very well. I'm such a fan of hers, and people that shit on her, fucking fight me, man. Come and fight me. I'm not hearing it. Because I bet, yeah, the only reason you're shitting on her is because you're jealous as shit that she is doing exactly what she wants to do with her career and doing it really well. She's hitting every fucking peak she can and just making new peaks for herself and just doing them. It's incredible. Fair play to her. And to be honest, I think she's became the new gold standard for classical musicians in the modern age. And I really, really hope that a flute player can emulate that one day. So listen, we're at... 33 minutes already, geez, maybe a wee bit less, because I had to pause to have a drink. See, I'm glad I preempted this and cut this podcast in two, because man, I am talking so much bollocks. It's the nature of being from Belfast. So anyway, next week, I'm going to be looking at the players that could take on this role that Manuel Bayou currently takes, or holds, which is the monarch, or the king, or the queen, potentially, of the flute world, the throne. But... You have to wait next week. I'm going to record it now. I'm going to go downstairs, get myself another drink, and I'll be back up to record again. Now, also, you'll be waiting a week for it. In the meantime, I'll be flying to Belfast. I'll be waiting to Belfast. By the time this podcast comes out, no, I won't be in Belfast yet. I'm going the Tuesday after you guys hear this. After that, I will be going to Belfast. I've got a lot of episodes lined up, which I'll tell you more in the next episode. And if you remember Jakob from episode 10... He's coming with me. So get ready for some TikToks of TikToks of Belfast pubs, Belfast food, all that kind of shite, if I can be arsed and if I'm sober enough to be on the internet. So if you have anything you want to see about Belfast, you want to know about Belfast, fire me a message when you hear this. I'll be going on Tuesday. And yeah. And then I'll be recording at least three episodes in Belfast of this podcast as we take this bitch on the road, man. We're taking it international we're going cologne we're going belfast we're going back to cologne (laughs) but it's going to be great also before i go quickly video listeners video listeners fuck me man when am i ever going to get that right video watchers i've got a new t-shirt this is the first inline g flute podcast t-shirt it is not available for sale this is a one-off i might start selling them okay my last merch idea didn't exactly go down the best that might have been a bit short-sighted to me to do a giveaway on the last merch idea so i'm trying to shift them quite quickly <laughs> but the next bit of merch might be t-shirts the, the logo is fucking gorgeous and it looks really nice this is a high quality t-shirt because i got it from uniqlo and then i got to print it myself but i might start ordering t-shirts so if you think you might be interested in one fire me a message and we'll see what merch we get sorted anyway guys stay safe look after yourselves have a lovely weekend let me know what you get up to in the weekend do you know what i'd love to hear as well last thing and then i will let you go i promise where do you listen to this podcast? 
how are you listening to it? Do you stick it on in the background? Do you pick it up a little bit and come back to it? Tell me what the crack is. Give me a bit of feedback on how you would like me to structure the podcast. Anyway, 35 minutes, I'm going to make it probably. Right, I love you guys. Have a great weekend. Big smooches. Mwah.